Hey everybody, welcome to The Debrief. So excited to talk to you guys about goals. And this week, my special guest is the Secret Sauce of Sandals Church, Dan Zimbardi. Hey, what's up guys? So glad that you're here. Yeah, so don't miss Sandals' version of the Italian Stallion this week on The Debrief. <laughs> So uh, this is Dan Zimbardi. Tell us something about yourself. Yeah, so I've been on staff for a little more than eight years. God called me out of the marketplace. I was an entrepreneur and a corporate citizen. Well, God called you and I begged. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Those things work together. Yeah. So uh, this is no joke. The year that I hired Dan, his corporate bonus was larger than the salary that I offered. Yeah. I've never felt so small when I when I slide an offer. And by the way, it was the biggest offer we'd ever made That's as true. a church. That's true. And I was like, please, That's please, true. please. And so yeah. uh, Dan took that and uh, super, super glad. And uh, we're well, actually... Let, we're let actually, me, let me say ahead, this, yeah. though. I Beyond saying yes to Jesus and yes to uh, to my beautiful wife, Lori, it was the, the best decision I've ever made. And, and I mean that. I mean, yeah. I, I have my dream job. I love the people that I get to work with. Um, Incredible, I, motivational, inspirational boss. Especially you. Um, but being <laughs> and able to humble. do... And <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I'd, I'd pat you on the back, put your hands in the way. That's, That's right. the old That's thing. That's right. That's right. Um, but anyway, yeah, I just, I love uh, getting to do my life's work. So so thank you. Yeah. So if awesome. you're checking us out live, uh, submit questions so we can take them live and I'll get to as many of them as I can. And uh, we're going to try to shoot for about 45 minutes uh, tonight. We're trying to do this uh, later so that you guys can join us. I know there's some confusion. We were doing 10 a.m. Now mm. we're doing 6.30 p.m. And uh, we're just trying to get a, a more more live questions so that we can roll through this. So let's start with an anonymous question. That yeah. is the specialty of the debrief. Mm. No one wants to take credit for their question, yeah. but God knows. Yeah. So um, it says anonymous from Instagram. How can you make sure your goals are God-led and not self-worship? At what, at what point do goals become idolatry? That's a that's a that's a whopper for number one. Yeah, that's a good one. You want me to take yeah, that yeah. start? Yeah, that's why you're here. Yeah. You're so, um, so, so yeah, I think back to uh, I'm going to tell a little story as, as I try to answer that question. Um, years ago, probably 20 years ago, uh, we were blessed to buy a house uh, here in Southern California. It sat on an acre. It was a new house, uh, and it was an acre filled with dirt. Yeah. And so I set a goal within five years. I wanted to see no more dirt. And so we set off, uh, my wife and I, to uh, you know, put in walls and gates and a pool and a courtyard and, and grass for miles and trees, and, uh, and, and we accomplished our goal <laughs> uh, at the end of that five years. But at the end of that five years, what I realized is um, I was building my kingdom. Yeah. I was not building God's kingdom. And God really convicted me in that way. And one of the ways he uh, convicted me tangibly is I used to walk out early in the morning as the sun was coming up uh, out to the front yard, and I would look out at the, the beautiful sod and grass and most strips and all the stuff that we had planted and uh, sort of admiring my kingdom, if yeah. you will. And um, one morning I walk out, and it's, it's pretty dark still, and there's a giant hole in the front yard. And there wasn't a giant hole there when I went to bed that <laughs> night. And, um, and so I thought, man, I, like, I shook my head. I thought, oh, something's not right. It's dark. I don't know. There's something with the angle. So I go back inside. An hour later, the sun comes up. I walk out. There's still a giant hole yeah. in the front yard. And there's no dirt around the perimeter of the hole. Um, and it turns out my septic had collapsed. Oh, that's nice. And so um, we had to put in a new septic. The, uh, you know, the, the dirt movers came in to, to dig it out and put in a new one. It destroyed the whole yard. The, uh. the grass, the sod, the most strips, the trees, everything. And God was showing me that, um, uh, you know, this is what happens when you set a goal that is about yourself, right? a goal that is about building your kingdom. And so um, at the end of the day, it's what, what is your goal about? What's the North Star? Yeah. Um, I think goals lead us and drive us to either God or grief. Mm -hmm. um, that's an example where the goal of completing the yard in five years right. led us to a lot of grief. Yeah, and um, you know, if you have a goal that is is about the Lord, it's about building His kingdom. I think you're going to avoid, I think, oftentimes a, a lot of grief. And so, really, it's what is the north star of your goal, and that's going to help you determine if uh, if it's if it's a godly goal or if it's it's your own goal that really just becomes an idol. Yeah, and so for those of you who are not. Uh 
navigational in terms of the oceans. The North Star, right, guided people for hundreds of years before we had compasses and iPhones. And some of you don't even know how to find anything except for your phone. So what it did is it it allowed you to find out where you were mm -hmm. based upon where it was. What I would say this is make it your goal to enjoy things but serve God. And I think a lot of people end up serving things and occasionally enjoying God. So I'm going to go on Christmas, yeah. Easter, uh, and I try to hold on to things very, very lightly and, and to hold on to God very, very tightly because septic thing, tank things can happen, property can burn down, there's earthquakes, there's COVID, right? All of these things can happen, and the sense of permanence and investment evaporates very quickly like our stock market, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. uh, but God doesn't do that. So let me take this live question here. Uh, how do I keep my family and friends motivated to follow Christ with all that's going on? Um, we're going to talk this week, and what I would say, I'm, I'm going to give this to Dan, but what I would say is be inspirational. And so what I try to do is, I, I'm not a person, and Dan is not a person. Neither of us needs motivation. We don't uh, need somebody to pep us up, get us going. We're naturally motivated people. And so what I try to do is motivate others um, to, do, to do things. Uh, a lot of people during COVID have gained weight. I said early on, I told my wife, I said, I want to be in the best shape of my life mm -hmm. when we get out of this. You know, I didn't have a lot to do, so I'm going to work out and exercise, and I've been doing that for eight weeks. I'm just a person who naturally sets goals. And here's the thing is, you got to be careful that you're not arrogant because that turns people off to goal setting, and you got to make sure that you don't make people feel small. So try to be inspirational and invite people into what I call doable change. Uh, you know, man, if you're 400 pounds, a marathon is probably not the first goal, but a 5K could be a goal. I mean, that's something that I think is a realistic goal. Uh, so you have a pair of knees when you're left over, yep. and, and you can do that. And so try to try to motivate people. So what I would say is look at yourself and, uh, and just, again, last week's message or last week's uh, debrief was ask some people, do, do I motivate you? Um, and, and I would say this, Dan, you and I have this talk a lot with our leaders. We, we have strong leaders. We have great leaders at our church. But one of the thresholds for a truly great leader is the ability to motivate and inspire. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a challenge. Um, and uh, it's hard to do because it's, you know, on the regular. Um, yeah. I think I thought a paycheck was motivation. We found out that is not, not motivation. Yeah. You've you got to motivate people. And you got to encourage them to do that. So, so how, what would you say to that? Yeah, I would say, especially as it relates to your family and friends, uh, I would start with this: leaders set the pace. Yeah, leaders set the pace. And so, um, if you're looking at your family and you're looking at your friends, and they're not following the Lord the way that you hope and aspire for them to follow the Lord, you probably need to look at yourself. And I'm not trying to to blame whoever asked that question. Right. I think it's a great question, but leaders set the pace. And so, it may be that you're not at the level of leadership. The, that you should be yeah. or you could be, and um, and so just it's it's about modeling and being an example. Um, I want my kids to wake up every day and walk outside and see me reading my Bible. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to set the pace for them. Now I tell them to read the Bible and I tell them Bible stories and I share the gospel. I mean I do all these things with them, but most importantly I'm trying to set the pace for them. I'm trying to set the example. So that would be my my encouragement uh, to to folks about. Um, how to how to lead your family and keep them inspired uh, to follow Christ. I would say um, the other thing I, I would add to, to your question is uh, people are inspired by vision. Uh, vision is uh, is exciting. Uh, it's it's fun. It's typically big. Right. Um, if you're someone that struggles with crafting a vision, I would say a vision should come from your burden. Mm -hmm. What are you burdened by? I, I tell people all the time when I talk about this in our orientation meetings. I say, uh, you know, vision should be birthed from burden. Think about Pastor Matt's burden as a young man, his burden to be able to be real and of all places in the church. Yeah. And so out of that burden, uh, God through him birthed this church yeah. where the vision is, is to be real. And so if you're thinking about how to inspire people, think about vision, how you can craft that based on a burden that you have. And I would say this, nagging is not inspiring. No. And critiquing is not inspiring. So my son and I are trying to read through Proverbs together, one chapter a day. It's been about 10 days, and we're on chapter four. And so um, we, we've tried this multiple times. And so here's what I've learned, Bible reading with your kids. I don't do well operating outside of what I normally do. So if, it's, if, if I'm not already in Proverbs, it's difficult for me to keep up with my Bible reading and add Proverbs. 
So what I did this time is uh, typically I, I, I read three or four chapters in the morning of Old Testament or New Testament, and I add one chapter of Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. I think wisdom is just something to just kind of really, really think about and process no matter where you are in the Bible. And so that's just something, I, I de- a habit I've developed. But I've made a commitment that I'm going to go at his pace. That's great. And so, so today is uh, Proverbs chapter 4, and I said, hey, did you do your Bible reading today? And he said, no. I said, okay, I want you to try to do it today so we can talk about it tonight. Mm. And the reason I love Proverbs, especially for young men, is that whole book is about a father who's trying to inspire his son. Mm. And so, so that's what I would do mm, is with your great. kids... When you're trying to do something that's not natural, that's going to be really, really difficult. And so I would try to incorporate, um, you know, Bible reading into into just your life. And so the Shema, uh, to hear, O Israel, which is the most famous verse for the Jewish person, talks about writing the scripture on your head and on your heart and on your arm, reading it to your kids all day long before you get up and after you go to bed. So Jewish people have interpreted that literally, and they, they tie it on their foreheads, mm. and, they, and they tie it on their arms. And I don't think that's what God meant at all. God, God, what God means is as you work, right, it's on your arm. As you think, it, it's, it's on your mind. And, and as you, you eat with your kids, it's around the table, and it's with you in the morning. So what God is saying in the, in the Shomea, uh, I, we say Shema in English, it's Shomea, is God's word needs to be permeating through, through the, the natural, normal mm. life of your family. Bible studies are awkward. It's awkward. Okay, now we're going to be spiritual, mm-hmm. right? We've, we've been, we've been uh, physical, emotional, and, and dysfunctional <laughs> all day long. Now we're going to serve Jesus. That's weird, and that's awkward. So what it needs to be is it, it needs to become a, a, a normal, natural part of your life. And that's why we have kids ministry at church. We're trying to take biblical concepts and deliver it to them at their age. And a lot of parents take their kids in worship. And I understand sometimes you need that, but what your kids need is to be developing a relationship with God at their level. So one day you can talk it uh, with each other. Mm-hmm. So, um, oh, how did PMB's meeting with Governor Newsom go? Will Sandals be gathering live this weekend? Uh, no, we did not meet together. And no, we will not be gathering this weekend. We're, we're working that out. We're going to make an announcement, I think, Thursday yeah, yeah. of what we're going to be doing. And, um, you know, I was disappointed, I think, as you were yeah. with the governor's um, response. Mm-hmm. Uh, just pray for our conversations with him. There is open dialogue uh, between my group and his office, and now that dialogue is direct. So now we're, we're, we're directly talking with his office. We have not been able to directly talk with him, but, you know, that's okay. I mean, we got people here too, and, and, and those people can get stuff to me, and, and that works that way, so we're happy with that. But I think what you can pray for is that Governor Newsom, I think, uh, and I don't mean this in a negative way, but I think he's truly ignorant of the size of many churches in our state. I don't think that's yeah. something that he knows about or understands. And his perspective and the pastors that I've worked with that work with him have minuscule is the right word, congregations, yeah. extraordinarily small congregations. And most of those people do social ministry. So they're not, they're not really into soul winning, discipling, reading God's word. They're, you know, they're into noble things, feeding the homeless, uh, caring for people. They, they, they do social work under the umbrella of Christ. And so those are very, very small entities that have a lot of dependency on government money. Sandals is not dependent on government money uh, because we do what we believe is we're called to do, which is the work of the church, um, which occasionally, right? We feed people, we clothe totally, people, yeah. we help people, yep. but we're more concerned with your soul than we are simply with physical needs. So just continue to, to pray for that. And uh, I'm going to be outlining a vision statement for how we're moving forward this week. And so what I'm going to give you is four or five values that I'm using to move us forward. And so I'll be releasing that. We'll film it on Thursday. It'll probably come out Thursday afternoon, Friday morning, but we will not be meeting together this weekend. Um, But uh, there are some exciting things that are coming. And so under the current order, obviously, we're going to be able to do a lot more than we could. And so we're excited about that. And we we celebrate that uh, because so much of, what I was frustrated about was the language of, yeah. you know, the church is not essential, and the fact that we were unable to do simple acts of care and meeting and mm-hmm. counseling. And, um, you know, the initial response was that I was wrong, that suicides are not going up. Northern California announced this week that there were more deaths by suicide yeah. than there were from COVID. Yeah. So now that's an official fact. So what I said four weeks ago, yeah. 
the government is catching up to. So, yeah. so keep praying for that because we don't want to see people taking their life. We, we don't want to see people uh, ending it because they're frustrated, depressed, isolated, or alone. We want to be there for those people. Can I add on real, yeah, real, of real quick? Um, I, to our church, I just want to say this is a very complex issue. Yeah. It's not a simple issue. And uh, a lot of people feel very strongly on the either side of yeah. the issue, right? Stay closed or stay open. And what I would say to our church is your, your perspective is largely based on your circumstances, meaning uh, our oldest daughter is a nurse in San Diego. She's treating COVID patients. Her perspective is based on the circumstances of seeing people die of the virus. Right. And her perspective is everyone stay home. Now, there's a lot of people that uh, have started businesses, that own businesses, that have been successful. They've uh, created a great way for, for jobs and to serve the community for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, and now their business is failing. So that's their circumstances. And so their perspective is based on that. They want the economy and, and the church, everything to be open. Yeah. So I would just say everyone who has a very hard line and perspective on this, understand that your perspective is based on your circumstances. Yeah. And just be open and respectful <clears throat> to the complexities of the issue that, that we're faced with. Yeah, and so, and like Dan said, you know, we, we have consulted with doctors who are treating COVID patients yeah. because we didn't want to just make this as a pastoral yeah. decision. Yeah. Um, and so we'll, we'll let you know that and just everybody chill out and try, try to serve God by controlling your temper and watching your words and what you say because many of you are sinning against God in the name of God, mm -hmm. and you're really violating you know, his worship because of your, your, your understanding of your freedoms. And so be really, really careful what you do. Right. All right. So I'm new to Christianity, but I feel as though I'm a Christian who has been sitting on the fence watching and has never taken that leap into my faith. I read my Bible. I read a devotional. Well, you do more than most people. I pray, but I still feel though as, that, uh, as though I have not made a true connection with God in my faith. My goal is to wholeheartedly dive into my faith and my relationship with God, but I just don't know how to exactly do this. And I guess, what steps should I take mm -hmm. to do that? Dan, yeah. lead us to the promised land. <laughs> um, I think the word that comes to mind for this person is, uh, is sacrifice. Uh, Jesus says, for those that want to follow me, uh, deny, deny yourself, pick up, pick up your cross, um, you know, and, and follow me. And, um, and so deny yourself, this first idea is about sacrifice. It's sacrificing the things that you want, your heart's desire, your flesh. And um, I think intimacy with God, for many of us, that, that road has traveled through sacrifice, mm -hmm. sacrificing maybe financially, sacrificing our comfort, uh, whatever the case may be. And so for that person, um, and, and again, obviously we don't have context right. on these questions, but but maybe the, the the idea for them to process and spend time with God on is, is what do I need to sacrifice so that I can draw nearer to you because I'll have to rely on mm -hmm. you more. So that's that's what comes to mind when I when I hear that. that yeah, question. let me just give you, you know, I, I think we talked about last weekend, right? There's opportunity, there's passion, and there's calling. And a lot of people want to be passionate about God, and so they look for a place where they can use their passions to serve the Lord. Some people look for opportunities. And, and what I would really encourage you to do is really to work out of that category called calling. And let me just give this to you. So I was on the phone with a pastor in LA last week, and I said, hey, here's some areas where Sandals needs help. So the church has gone largely video, it's gone largely uh, digital, and we, we need help from our LA brothers and sisters in Christ and I said, here's some job openings that we might be thinking about. Absolutely no problem. He says, I, I got tons of people. Well, he talked to tons of people. Guess how many of them were willing to consider Riverside? Zero. Zero. Because opportunity has to align with passion because they don't have a calling. Yeah. Tammy and I lived in Huntington Beach, right? And we, we had an opportunity to serve God. We could have gone anywhere. We had a, we had a passion to serve God, and, and, to, and we wanted to serve him anywhere. And so we had a calling to Riverside. And, and that's the quickest way, you know, when people tell me, yeah, let me know when there's Sandals Church Hawaii, I, I don't want to let you know. Yeah. You know, unless of course you live in Hawaii, which some people yeah. do, but Jesus is not calling, you know, you to leave Blythe, California to go to, go to Hawaii. He's calling you to surrender where you are in Blythe, California and say, God, here's my yes. You, you give me the arrow. And that's what a lot of people want to do is they want to give God all the control as long as he listens <laughs> to them wanting to stay in control. And that just doesn't work. So I, I would just encourage you to keep pressing in and, and just invite God into your heart. Invite God into um, you know, what's going on in your life and, uh, and, and just know that this is a journey and it's taken me 24 years as your pastor to figure this out. 
I've become very suspicious mm. of God's call when it's aligns with my passions. Sure. I always yep. get a little wobbly yeah. when I'm super excited about something that that's God's call because I know I'm a fairly passionate person. Yeah. All right. I have faith, but right now it feels like a failure. I want to be where God wants me to be, but getting resistance along the way. How do I continue to push past the disappointment? Mm. Well, I'm thinking about Paul, uh, you know, yeah. uh, the disappointment that, that he faced, um, being thrown in jail, being beaten. Um, man, he's such a great uh, t- testimony and story for us right. as we're going through disappointment. Um, actually, I do a talk on managing disappointment, and one, one of the points in there is is to take the long view in your mm-hmm. life in the midst of disappointment. When you're facing something that's really hard and really, really difficult, step back as far as you can and, and, and try to imagine your life at the beginning and at the end. Um, it's, it's a long view. It's a story. And this disappointment is just a dot in, in the middle of that. And, and it helps you to give uh, and gain perspective. And that's often what we need when we're dealing with disappointment is that uh, we need some perspective. And so um, I would say take the long view would be my first thought. And then two, spend some time reading what, what Paul's writing. He, he's so inspirational yeah. as it, as it uh, relates to working through disappointment. Yeah. Man, I just totally just forced that sneeze down. I was going to spread, <laughs> I was going to spread COVID all over the place. Okay. Uh, the thing uh, that spoke to me was letting go of the past, but how do you do that? How does God want us to let go of our past hurts and the people that have wronged us? How do we do it? Yeah. Uh, you want to go or I'll go? I've got a quick story. Yeah, go. Um, so, you know, I grew up with a dad who was largely absent. Uh, he made a lot of uh, bad decisions and choices. I've shared a lot of this with you. Um, and so life it was hard, and I think in a lot of ways is still hard because yeah. my dad wasn't there and wasn't present. And, uh, and some of his choices led to a lot of pain, you know, for our family. Uh, several years ago, I think God gave me one of the greatest gifts of my life, and it was, it was this phrase he gave me. It was actually a question. It was, um, it, w- what if he did the best he could? Yeah. And, um, and that really, that question um, that God gave me really allowed me to release him, to forgive him. Um, what if he did the best he could based on how he was raised, based on... Um, uh, how he was loved or not loved, how he was cared for or not cared for, based on whatever mental health issues or addictions that he had, et cetera. What if he did the best he could? And that just really allowed me uh, to be freed from the, the burden of anger and bitterness um, and, and allowed me to love him in, in the final days of, of his life. And, mm. I, and I know that's not for everybody. Yeah. That might be for one person that's listening mm. who's got an issue with a parent or a sibling or someone that's close to them that really hurt them. Yeah. But it's to change your thinking. Instead of judging them and being angry, it's a shift of, and just really pondering that, what if they did the best they could? Yeah, Hillary TJ, uh, she had a similar question, and her story is really a lot like yours. Her dad remarried at 14, left her mom, left her, mm. moved out of state, Um, And she says, I've been working for years on not letting his actions hold me back, identifying triggers uh, to help relationships. Um, And, and, you know, she says the one thing I'm supposed to do that bothers her the most is that we're supposed to honor our father and mother. How do you honor someone who dishonored his Mm -hmm. wife and his children? Uh, She said, your sermon last week really spoke to me. I want to elevate myself out of having the past constantly in the back of my mind. So how did you do that? Because what your dad did yeah. was wrong. Sure, yeah. I think um, someone shared this with me uh, not too long ago, but, you know, becoming more like Jesus is often a journey of healing. You know, we think about uh, this idea of sanctification as being more virtuous, right. more loving, caring, etc. But becoming more like Jesus is also going on a journey of healing. Mm-hmm. We, we all have things to heal from. And so I, I would start with the place for, for that gal to say, um, be committed and be real about the fact that you need to heal mm. and start, start there. And, then, and, and I think that's where the journey of healing begins, when you're real about it, mm-hmm. um, when you start to talk about it, you start to share your story with friends, with, with counselors, with your pastor, et cetera. Um, there's not a prescription for healing. I don't think anyone can prescribe this mm-hmm. pill or this book or whatever, but it starts with self-awareness mm-hmm. and a commitment you know, for the hardest things that we all deal with, man, that's a journey to heal through those things. It's not, it's not uh, days, it's typically years. Mm-hmm. But so often, I think we're, we're not committed to the healing journey. And what I would say to, to that gal is be committed to it. And that may mean medication. 
It might mean a counselor. It might mean just telling your story over and over again. But it's it's the pursuit of healing is is where I would encourage her to start. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think part of honoring uh, family members that have done wrong is is honoring the position. And, and the way you do that is by committing to make yourself better than that in the future. And uh, here's one of the things I see a lot of parents do, um, particularly women who are left, oftentimes their pain leaks out on their kids. Mm -hmm. And so they transfer it. And so they need the kid to experience the pain and the hurt um, to identify with them to go against the dad. And so if you're, if you're a woman who's been left, you have to be careful not that you ignore your pain, but that you shield it from transferring it upon your kid. Because what happens is uh, then your daughter, particularly, or your son doesn't trust men, doesn't mm -hmm. value men. Um, like if you have a son and you say things like all men are cheaters or all men are terrible, well, he's not going to want to become a man. He stays mm -hmm. a boy. If, if, you're, if you have a daughter, then they don't trust men. They're always doubting uh, men, and then they, they create that in, in a relationship where that wound didn't even happen. And so if we don't deal with our past, you know, it robs us of our future or it destroys our future. And so I see women who get remarried to uh, a very, very faithful, loving person, but they're blaming him for what, you know, idiot number one did. And so we have to be really, really careful and just know that if we don't move through those past hurts, you know, Jesus can't take us to our future peace. And so we, we have to really, really work through that and, um, you know, every, every family's different. You know, my mom and dad's parents, you know, they were, they're called the greatest generation who ever lived. Well, they were stuffers and ignorers. So think about it. They fought World War II. You know, my grandmother was in high school. She'd never heard of Japan. Mm. Japan bombs Pearl Harbor. And the next thing you know, she's got brothers going off to war. Her dad dies in the field. She's shipped off to California. You know, my, her husband that she met, you know, is... is is listed as dead for three months. <laughs> His parents are told that he's dead, comes back. He's not dead, but he was severely wounded. Um, you know, and, and my dad's dad was, you know, on an oil tanker. His dad left them uh, during the Depression, just gave up, left, left him with his mother and four siblings. And so they stuffed all that. And then my parents' generation, you know, they were the indulgers, mm -hmm. right? So they, they weren't loved, they weren't cared for. And so they just kind of indulged. And, you know, my generation, I think we're the explorers trying to figure out and I know that sounds more romantic than the previous two, and I don't mean it that way, but we get into a lot of weird stuff, and then our kids, are, they, they've been shielded. They're, they're, you know, they're not the shielders. They've been shielded. They haven't experienced anything, and so we're all trying to figure this out together, and a lot of us, instead of following Jesus, what we're doing is we're reacting um, against our wounds, mm -hmm. and so stop, stop reacting against your wounds and start reacting with Jesus and say, okay, I'm going to sit in this, and uh, remember when we started this series, what do you want? Well, I, I don't have anybody to help me. That, that's, that's a reaction to life rather than a reaction to Jesus. You got Jesus saying there, look, I want to take this from you and I want to help you heal this. What I would say is, is the man at the well was instantaneously healed. Sometimes that's our stories. Usually it's this process and this journey where you kind of deal with what is and you have to bury what you wish was, mm -hmm. and then you move forward. Yeah. And... Um, most of us don't have the life we wish, so we have to bury that. We have to deal with that so we can move forward with the life that we want. And, um, and I just would encourage you to do that. And it, it's a long process, and it's a tough process. But just because you had, a, you, you had a bad mom or dad or a dysfunctional mom and dad or a mom and dad that left doesn't mean that you don't have to you know, live out the Sixth Commandment, which is honor your father and mm -hmm. mother. Uh, Dennis Prager, a Jewish rabbi and philosophical and political thinker, says that it's the most difficult command yeah. to, to live out yeah. because our parents are flawed. Yep. Um, you know, I think about my kids all the time. Not only am I their dad, but I'm their pastor. And, you know, I don't want them to get me confused with God. Yeah. And so, um, because if I'm flawed, then God's flawed. Yeah. If I'm mean, then God's mean. If, if their perception of me is that I'm not fair, God's not fair. So we have to be very, very careful and... Um, I think that if, if you can't ever come to the place where you can honor your mom and dad and however that looks, you're going to struggle honoring God. Yeah. So. Yeah, and I, I would just add to that, that we one of the phrases we use at Sandals is that God blesses houses of honor. And a lot of that uh, starts with how we treat and think about mom yeah. and dad. And um, and so if you want to be blessed, you want your home to be blessed, your business, your your whatever situation to be blessed, 
Um, you have to honor people. God blesses houses of honor. And mm. so for, for this gal and, and for anyone else who struggled, especially with a parent who made bad choices, you can still honor a parent or anyone through your words, through your actions, and through your thoughts um, uh, by being kind. You can be kind in all three of those areas, but still maintain uh, boundaries. So yeah. back to your question about my relationship with my dad. I had to maintain boundaries with my dad because of some of the things that he did, yeah. some of the choices he made, there were implications to me. And so even though he caused a lot of hurt, I knew I still, God was calling me to honor him. And so I was still kind to him with words. Yeah. I was still uh, kind in my thoughts and I was still kind in my actions while maintaining boundaries. And so for some people, it may be where mom and dad is either dangerous or toxic and you need very strong boundaries, right. but you can do that and still be kind. Right. And so I think sometimes we think those are two completely different things that, um, you know, I, I, if I'm going to have boundaries, I have to be really strong and firm and not necessarily, you can still be kind. Yeah. And I'll just, you know, I have a, a person in my life that, you know, God's called me to honor and I really struggle with that. And the word that I try to use is just unpleasant, mm -hmm. that they're very unpleasant. And I think that's it, because you don't want to lie to your kids and yeah. pretend that things aren't the way that they are, but you also don't want to defame, degrade, mm -hmm. and uh, just because somebody is something doesn't mean you have the permission to, to call them something profane. Uh, and that's what Jesus, when Jesus says, and, and I know you're probably not where you want to be in terms of your Bible reading, and that's why I would encourage you, wisdom comes from reading the Bible over time. That's where it comes from. But Jesus says, if anyone calls his brother Raka, he is in danger of the fires of hell. And so one of the things that, you know, you don't know what Raka means, and nobody knows exactly how to translate it, but it's, it's a profane term. Um, it's something harsh, nasty, probably something flippantly that you've been called or maybe something you've called somebody else. But what it means is to degrade people. And so, you know, Jesus has interactions with Herod, right? King Herod, who's not a good person. He calls him a fox. So in, in that day and age, you know, the term dog, which he actually uses to describe sometimes, you know, Jesus uses language and he's, you know, can use what he wants because he's the Lord, but he's careful and he's calculating how he uh, honors a person yet it's clear. And so that's what I would use is try to find language. Unpleasant um, makes me feel unsafe makes me feel unloved. You don't, you don't have to degrade yourself to use degrading language to describe somebody else. Um, because in the end, that's probably how that person became that person. They weren't loved. They weren't cared for. Mm -hmm. uh, very few people are born evil. That's Most right. people become evil because yeah. of wounds and time and a lack of love. Mm -hmm. So uh, let me read this one. Sometimes fear stops us from listening to God's calling. I think this mm -hmm. is right up your alley. Fear also creates doubt about his calling. Is it really from God or am I imagining it? How do you get past the fears and to be brave and just go for it? And so let me set this up. So Dan waffled, right? You, 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 had, you, had, you had like a week there where you, it was like, I'm not sure. Yeah. Because it was a big decision yeah. to go from really, I mean, your, your financial future was mm -hmm. laid out. Like you were well established in your career. And, and this was, you know, how, how, did you, how did you figure that out? Yeah. Well, I think as it relates to the job, what you're referring to, what it boiled down to was I felt called. Right. Back to where you yeah. started earlier. I felt called, and I didn't want to deny that calling. I, I, I didn't want to say, say no to God um, because I, I, I feared God. Mm. <laughs> I feared God more than I feared the uncertainty of our financial situation. At that yeah. time, our oldest was heading off to college. You know, uh, and college isn't cheap. Yeah, no, right? you've got no, kids not even for pastors. And so, um, so, so there was a lot of fear there, and and so for me, a lot of that came down to, uh, and it took a while, but really discerning that God was calling me to something, mm -hmm. and um, and so how do you discern calling? That's a great question that people ask. You know, part of that is through wise counselors, yeah. people that don't have an agenda in your life. Uh, other than they want what's best for, for you based on what God wants for you. But, you know, seeking wise counsel to discern that calling, you know, obviously praying through the lens of, of, of that decision, uh, reading God's word is, would be the third thing, uh, through the lens of, of, this, of this decision, this issue of, of dealing with fear, and then uh, looking at the circumstances based on the, the situation that you're facing. As you put all those things together, I think that's where you're able to discern what God wants for you, especially as it relates to pressing through fear. Mm -hmm. um, because a lot of times fear for us relates to decision-making, and that's why I relate it to discerning God's will for us. 
Um, but a lot of times when I'm uh, dealing with fear, I, I go and read uh, the book of Joshua and the opening of Joshua. God tells mm. Joshua, who I believe was a, a courageous man, to be courageous three times right in the beginning. And so I read that, and then I ask God to help me to be courageous mm -hmm. and work through that fear, um, because that's what we need when we're fearful. We, we need courage from the Lord to, to work through that. Yeah, I, I would say I agree totally with Dan. You need a community group of people that you trust, people that you know, and people who have demonstrated faithfulness to God and who have demonstrated a word from God. That's why a lot of you guys, you, you feel like community group is optional. You cannot trust yourself to hear from God on your own in a sermon. You just cannot do that. So when, when, you read, when you read scriptures, that's a reason why people have the gift of prophecy. That's the reason why people have the gift of tongues. It's the reason why somebody else has the gift of interpretation. When you look at the early church, there's, there's a clear mistrust of the individual in hearing from God on, on their own. And, and this is why we get all this wackadoodle stuff that people do, because they align what they think God said with their passions. And so that's you know, that, that's what I would really, really, um, really press on. When, when I surrendered to ministry, it is not something that I wanted to do. It was not something that I was passionate about. It was something that I was afraid I was not gifted at. And so, you know, I, as I began to talk and share with people, you know, even Tammy, when I was total sinner and we're dating, right? I told her, I think, I think I'm supposed to be a pastor. Like, she should have said, no, you know, you're ridiculous. But she said, yeah, I can see that. No, nobody along the way went, nope, nope, that's not for you. P person after person after person spoke that over me, and it was community. Uh, and I didn't have the community that we have now. I'm in community group, and I, I pray through things, and I offer things up with Dan, some other key individuals in our church, um, and, and just people in my life that I know and trust and hear God. Now, in the end, you're accountable for your decision. So don't be like, Lord, my community group said, you're accountable for your decision. But what I would do is I would say, I, I want to put this out there. I want people to pray about it and people to weigh, to weigh in. And, uh, you know, we have a mutual friend and, you know, he came to us and he said, I'm feeling called of God to leave Sandals Church and go somewhere else. He said, and he asked me, he said, I want you to pray about it. So I did, mm -hmm. and the Lord told me, tell him to go. And I, I came back to him, remember, I, and I said, I said, Tony, God said go. And he mm -hmm. goes, I didn't think God would say that. <laughs> you know, and you're yeah. laughing because, yeah. you know, we, and, and it's yeah. like, that's what the Lord said. You yeah. asked me. Yeah. And, and think about this. This was a tither, a leader in our yeah. church, a friend, and he asked me to pray about it and see what God's will was. And I said, man, you, you need to go and do this. This is your opportunity. This is what you want. And I advise him to follow God, which ultimately negatively impacted me. That's when you, that's how you know it's God. So um, these are some great questions. Can you still feel hurt and still forgive? So there's some tension here. Christians and Jews have a very, very different understanding of forgiveness. Most Christians think that we, we just have to forgive everybody um, in order to move on. I, I think there's, there's some tension here. I think forgiveness biblically like, how does God forgive you, Dan? So does, did God just in heaven arbitrarily decide to forgive you, or does he require something? He requires something. Yeah, it's yeah. called repentance yeah. and faith. And so God forgives the sinner that repents of their sin and, and comes to him in, fa in faith. And so I would say, you are biblically mandated to forgive people who are repentant and come to you in good faith. They're not manipulative. They're not trying to move past this. They're not trying to use you. They're not trying to, to get back in, you know, to your good graces again so they can hurt you or wound you. I think those people you are mandated to forgive. Here's what I would encourage you. If you can't get there, here's how I think you could start. I would say, God, I can't forgive this person. I can't do it. I'm going to hand this over to you, Lord, and I'm going to trust, God, that you're going to make it right. So I need you to take this emotion. I need you to take this hurt and I need you to help me heal from this wound, but I don't think you need to go and reconcile with a person. Like, what, what do you do if somebody, you know, abused you or molested you? Mm -hmm. how, how on earth do you reconcile that relationship? You have to disconnect from that person and say, okay, God, so right, so God is the mediator, so he is able to reconcile us. So we can go to God and say, God, I, what I, what, here's what I think you need to do is I need to get past this hurt 
So it's not holding me in a place that I don't want to be. I need to get to a place where I can trust people, make friends, move on in my life, and I'm not imprisoned by this wound mm. that's holding me back. That, that's what you need to move towards. If you can get to the place where you can forgive them, I think that's a healthy place. I think that would be a goal. Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't agree that it's something that's mandated. And so I think people that push you to forgive everyone, here's what I would say is they haven't been hurt. Yeah. <laughs> they have not been wounded and they have not walked in some things that are extraordinarily painful. But if it's, if it's, if it's demonic, and so, so here, here's the thing. And so you may not be ready to forgive and, and that's between you and God. Here's what's not okay. Anger, anger, resentment, bitterness, um, you know, uh, deceitfulness, slander. Those things are not acceptable. So those things need to come out. So God, help me deal with, deal with this anger. God, help me get rid of this bitterness. Those are commands. That's between you and God. You've, you've got to get rid of the poison and, and the venom. You may, not have, you may not be ready to forgive the snake that bit you, but God can take the poison from your body. Mm -hmm. And that's what you want to get rid of. So God, this, this wound, it's poisoning me and it's ruining me and it's wrecking how I see people and how I see you, God. And I need you to extract this poison from me and I'm going to hand this over to you and I'm going to trust God that you're going to do the right thing and, and you're going to make it right. But I just think a lot of counseling, I think these are well-meaning people. So Jesus on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Man, if you can get there, praise God. Hallelujah. You are like Jesus. For most of us, mm. we got we to gotta deal with the bitterness. We got to deal with the anger. We got to deal with the mistrust. We got to deal with how we treat everybody else and how we, we look at ourselves because of what's happened to us. If God does the work of forgiveness, and, and I really think uh, there's also a difference between forgiveness where it's just like, yeah, right? We were young. That was yeah. stupid. Uh, I've moved on. Man, that's great. Reconciliation, that absolutely mm. has to have them coming to you and saying, I was wrong. Yeah. I, I was wrong. Um, so, so those people that crucified Jesus, he forgave them. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. They are not reconciled to God. They are not. They are going to be held accountable for what they did to Jesus unless they repent, unless they're made right, unless they're reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. So um, I, th I think it's a demonstration of who Jesus is, but it's not actual forgiveness until they repent of their sin and place their faith and trust in Jesus. And, and I know that's technical, but we do a lot of disservice. And I think we minimize the level of wounding that some people have walked through uh, when we just say, you just need to forgive. And so um, I had a person in our church who hurt me and I called him, uh, what did I, I, I would say Voldemort. That's not what the name I called him. Um, Voltron, that was the name I used, um, which was this fictional Japanese robot character in the 80s, um, I would say, God, help me to forgive Voltron the way you've forgiven me. Mm -hmm. That was my prayer. God, I want you to bless Voltron the way you've mm -hmm. blessed That's me. That's great. I didn't, mean, I didn't mean that prayer for like six months, but I prayed it every day because I knew that ultimately I had to forgive this person. So my prayer is that's where you can get. What I would say right now is let's get rid of the poison, then let's talk about forgiveness. Mm -hmm. So That's great. That's great. Yeah, I would just I would add uh, the word imprison. That's the word that came to mind as you were talking. You shared that word, and I think a lack of forgiveness can be like self imprisonment. Yeah, someone who's unwilling to forgive, especially over time when someone's repenting, uh, it's like them walking into a jail cell that they control and they have the key. They shut the door and they're imprisoned by this anger and this hatred and this <clears throat> bitterness. And honestly, that can change the course of your life yeah. in a negative way. And, and that's all due to a lack of forgiveness. And so um, I think this is key. I think some people's life is miserable for a long stretch of time because they're unwilling to forgive people. Yeah. And, um, and so if, if that is anyone listening now, I would say, man, you, you got to really work through this healing and this forgiveness so you can get out of prison and you can be free yeah. as, as God wants you to be. And ultimately... Um, Here's the thing, you are mandated to forgive people who come to you and ask for forgiveness. Mm -hmm. That's not an option, so I left that out. Um, Paul writes uh, to the church and he says, forgive one another of their faults. You need to distinguish, distinguish between faults, yeah. like people's personalities, yeah. the things that they overlook. Like you, you cannot store those things up and actual wounds like abuse, yeah. 
uh, adultery, you know, cheating, uh, you know, just off cr crimes committed against you. And you need to make sure that you understand the difference between that. Um, you know, if you're married to someone, they're going to offend you. You need to forgive their faults. Mm -hmm. You need to you need to be be quick to forgive because living together is something very different from you know, living with an abuser or living with, you know, someone who's committed a crime against you. And we need to make sure that we understand uh, that there's there's a difference in wounding. And um, we, did, we just have to deal with that. All right, Dan, look at this one. How do I accept God's grace, love, and kindness into my heart? Okay, that let's stop there. That's two questions. I was cheating. That's two questions. Let's mm -hmm. go there. How do I accept God's grace and love and kindness into my heart? How do I accept it? Um... Man, that's a great that's a great question. Um, I I think uh, spend some time dwelling on the cross. Yeah. Um, I, I've been talking to people through the um, the quarantine. I'm trying to dwell on positive things mm -hmm. because my mind goes to dwell on uh, negative things, and the sky is falling. And so I'm using this word dwell uh, for this person for them mm. to think about. And, and really spend time. When I say dwell, I mean spend 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, uh, you know, an extended period of time studying and learning about uh, what Jesus did on the cross, mm -hmm. about the sacrifice that, that, that God made to give up his son for you, um, to, to really try to understand how, how special you are. Mm -hmm. Um, God uh, made only one of us. There's only going to be one of us. There only is one of us. There's only going to be one. There's just one. We're right. special. We're unique. And, um, mm -hmm. and as you start to understand, I think the cross and the work, the finished work that Jesus has done, I think it allows us to, to be more open to receive God's love and to understand uh, grace, unmerited favor, to mm -hmm. understand that favor that God's given us. Because um, why would he give up his son? Uh, because we're special, and He yeah. loves us deeply, and and so I would say, dwell on that. Read the scriptures. Read about the crucifixion um, to to really uh, understand how deep uh, God's love runs for you. Yeah, and I would say for me, that's something that I wrestled with deeply, and I ultimately came to the conclusion that that I was under a demonic influence. So the gospel was good for you. The gospel was good for Dan. The gospel is for everybody else, but Matt Brown knew better. Matt Brown knew better, and so the blood and the work of Jesus Christ on the cross was not for me. And um, if, if, if I said those words out loud, I would say to, a, to someone else, that's crazy, that's heretical. But that's how I really felt deep inside, and I had to bring that out. And, and confess that and ask God to take it away because it just wasn't true. Mm -hmm. um, the last words of Jesus on the cross are, it is finished. Mm -hmm. And so for me to not accept that or to believe I can't accept that is really not about me, it's about Jesus. And it's saying, he couldn't save me. Yeah. So, so I, I would really go there. Um, the next question, how, how to be at peace with outcomes, well, what else are you going to do? Mm -hmm. I mean, we, we can't control much. That's what we've learned. And... Um, we, I think peace is something that we work at. It's why Paul says, as far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all people. So peace is something we have to work for. Um, it's not something I do well all the time. You know, I, I told Tammy, I, I did the one interview with all the news media, and I, I'm critical of Trump, how he, you know, responds to media. And I, I just put my head down. I told Tammy, I was like, I was just like Trump today. I, <laughs> I, I lost my cool because... It didn't go the way I wanted. Yeah, you didn't it like to the go. outcome, sure. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't yeah. like the outcome. I didn't like how I was being treated. So, yeah. yeah. All right. Where do we Christians draw the line when we know another believer is toxic, mentally ill, or is not a safe person to have around? Uh, what you do is, I, I think you, you get in community group and you have somebody to to make sure that that's not just a personality conflict. That that's mm -hmm. not just, you know, I, I wouldn't make that decision on your own, but I would bring somebody into that. And, and then if there, there's a group of healthy Christians who've exhibited solid leadership, who've exhibited that they hear from God, that they follow God, that they're not, you know, that they don't follow the path of sinners, right? Um, because most people are going to tell you what you want to hear. That's just, you just got to know most people are chickens. Most people are chickens, and they're not going to disagree with you, and they're going to tell you, yeah, 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 yeah. So you got to have that person in your life that says, I, I, I think, you know, you need to press into this. And then if you know, like if you and I were friends and I knew this person and I said, yep, I said, you know what, that, that person is toxic. They're mentally ill. They're not safe. 
then I would say you need to set up boundaries and you need to not be around them. Yeah. Um, now, obviously, you, you don't always have time. Mm-hmm. You know, if this is a violent person, um, you know, somebody uh, direct messaged me during COVID and said, I, you know, I want to move out of my house. And I said, what's going on? You know, what's going on? Uh, is he abusive? Is he physically threatening you? Are you in danger? If those things are true, you know, get out. If not, I would hunker down in place. Yeah. This sucks for, you know, all of us. Yep. And let's try to, you know, figure this out when it's easier to find some place to, to get at. But a lot of times, you know, we can say someone else is toxic and, and we're flippant about that. And, and we may be toxic together. Yeah. We might be doing this together. And I think it's easy to say this person is this or that person is that. And it's easy to, to pretend it's, it's someone else or everyone else. And it, it's harder to say, okay, what am I doing to contribute to this? So I'll be praying for you. And uh, here's my hope is that it's not a mentally ill, toxic, or unsafe person, because my hope is that you can make a change. Uh, obviously, those things create bigger issues. So here's, here's my challenge to you guys. I would have liked some more questions on goals. So <laughs> um, I think that it's important to, to, to make goals and to set goals, and it's important to work through that. And of course, somebody just sent one in. On, this is going to be our last question. I have big goals that my friends and family don't believe in. How do I get my family to believe mm. in me? Uh, he, he, here's what I would do. I would get, I would get some new friends at church and I would get some friends that are honest and real with you based upon your giftedness, based upon your effort. You know, uh, I think a lot of people want to be Elon Musk. And here's my question. So when you're 18 years old, are you working a hundred hours a week? Mm. That's what Elon Musk was doing. Yeah. When you're 12 years old, uh, what Steve Jobs when Steve Jobs was 12 years old, he was email, emailing the head of Hewlett Packard <laughs> to say, can I have some extra computer parts? These are the people that change the world. So you have to have effort that aligns with dreams. So a lot of people in ministry, they're big talkers, big goals, big goals, huge goals, right? They don't put in the effort. They don't put in the time. They don't work hard. And I see this all the time. God tends to bless effort. He tends Amen. to bless effort. When you look at the Apostle Paul, the dude worked hard. Mm. So here's what I would say. You might have big goals. You know, what kid doesn't want to be a millionaire? What kid doesn't want to be famous? What kid doesn't want to be something big, right? You know, what I would say is ask your family, is it my effort that does, you know, what is the reason? What is the reason, you know, I don't, I don't have with have this or whatever it takes. And, uh, and here's what I would say, you know, sometimes people are wrong. Like I didn't know this, but somebody told me that, um, Lauren Daigle was, was not picked for, uh, American Idol. Mm. So I was just like, wow, they missed that one. Yep. You know, that's a yeah. miss. So even experts get it wrong. Um, and, and in the end, you know, there was, I would say most people did not believe in me. Most people did not believe in me, but, but, but I have to be honest. I had a track record that I think created some substantial doubt mm. So I was a big talker. I was a big, you know, like, yeah, I'm going to do this, and yeah, I'm going to do that. And I, and I talked big, but I lived small. So what you have to do is you have to back up your, your, your voice with, with what you're going to do, and you have to actually start doing it. Um, you know, it's one thing to say you're going to write a book. It's another thing to write a book. It's one thing to say you're going you're gonna to do an Ironman. Let me tell you something. It is another thing at 4.30 in the morning when you're getting up and you're going, okay, today's the day where I'm going to find out if I can do this. Um, you know, uh, you came in and watched me speak at Saddleback Church, which was, you know, like if you're a little leaguer, mm-hmm. you want to play in the majors. Yeah. If you're a pastor, you want to speak at Saddleback. Mm-hmm. Well, I always thought, you know, yeah, I can handle it. I had diarrhea for five days <laughs> before I preached at Saddleback Church. Five <laughs> days. Went to the doctor. Oh, what's that stuff you take when you get diarrhea? Uh, uh, what's it called? Amodium? Amodium. Yeah, amodium yeah, yeah. AD. I had, so much, I had so much amodium AD in my system, uh. I should have been farting ash. <laughs> but... Right. And here's why. Here's why I was I was so nervous. Because I had talked a big talk. Sure. And I was gonna find out whether or not I could do it or not. Now they haven't asked me back. Yeah. So maybe yeah, I thought knows. I did okay. You did great. I Thank you. Well you, you you get paid by me. So, no, yeah. well, you did so great. I, I thought I did okay. A lot of other people told you you were great. Um but you know, when I was a kid, my, my friend Roger's turning fifty this week, which is just weird, my childhood friends. And I talked a lot of smack. Mm. I, my mouth was always bigger than my ability. Mm. Um, 
And I'll never forget, I was, I was in Little League, and I was 15 years old, and all my friends were behind the fence. Mm -hmm. And I was up to bat, and one of our other friends, Jed Finch, he was the number one pitcher in our league, was on the mound. And my friend Roger said, you talk a lot of crap, Matt. You better get a hit. <laughs> By the grace of God and all that is holy, I hit a double. That's right. I hit a double. That's I think great. Jed Finch struck me out every other time for the yeah. year. But that, that, day, yeah. that game, I got a hit. And I, and I just realized I am really good at talking. Mm. God was going to use that. Yeah. Amen. I was not really good at following through and actually doing it. And so um, you've got to become a person. You've got to be honest. So you have big goals. Do you have big effort? Yeah. And here's the thing. You said my friends and my family don't believe in. That concerns me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So either you got jacked friends yeah. <laughs> and an abusive family, or you got friends and family that are saying, yeah. you know. And, and, and here's the thing is, Nobody knows who's going to be the big deal when you're sure. little, right? Nobody knows. Yep. Um, I don't know. It's 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 end of the year yearbooks. Are they ever right? Most likely to succeed, you no. know? No, they're not. No, I I would so to add on to that just to, for a few minutes. I would say ask your friends and family why why they don't believe in you. Yeah. That, that's that's what I would say. And don't <laughs> like lose your mind when they give you. Yeah, an I mean, I, you know, obviously there's some people maybe in your friends that you don't want to ask, but. Um, the reality is, especially if you're younger, you may not be uh, faithful in the little things. Yeah. And, and I'll, I'll translate that. Uh, are you a person of your word? Do you do what you say you're going to do? Like to your point earlier, do you show up on time? Do you make your bed in the morning? Do you pay your bills on time? You know, are, are you that person or are you the opposite? Because if you're the opposite of that, I would say you should expect people to uh, not believe in you and your goals. And so be faithful in the little things, and maybe that's what you need to work on in this season mm -hmm. uh, as you head towards realizing these big goals that you have. Yeah, and I would just say this. You know, uh, Monday was uh, Memorial Day. Mm -hmm. Everybody had it off, right? I had school, 8.30 in the morning on Memorial Day because I have a goal. I want to learn Hebrew. Mm -hmm. That's my goal. In, in Israel, it's not Memorial Day. Yeah. So... You got to decide, are you willing to work on your days off? If you're not, you will never be great. Yeah. You yeah. will never be great. Listen to me, rich people, famous people, unless, unless, unless your family, uh, you know, is wealthy and powerful. Okay. Those people, right. That's, that wasn't me and you, it, it, unless your, your, your mom and dad are wealthy or powerful, you're going to have to work for everything you get. That's just the way that it is. And you may work really hard and it might not happen. But um, I don't think God is going to hold us accountable for our success. He's going to hold us accountable for our effort. Mm. And so what I do is, to everybody out there who feels like you're supposed to do something special with your life, I would say routine is your best friend. People that know me the most would say, Matt is routine to a fault. I do the same thing on a regular basis, and I do what, what I think I can do well, and I try not to to deviate from that. Like, I, I just try to stay in my lane because you can't be great at everything. Um, and I love Elon Musk, but I think what could ultimately bring him down is he tries to do everything. Yeah, too many things. He, he's involved in too many things. And what made Steve Jobs great mm. is he did very, very few things. Yep. And so what I would encourage you is, listen to me, nobody can do everything. Nobody. Mm -hmm. And the leaders early on at Sandals Church who've done the least are the ones that thought they had the most. They thought they mm -hmm. could do it all, and what they did ultimately was nothing. Yeah. They, did, they did nothing or very little with what God gave them. Figure out what your niche is, stay in that niche, mm. work at your craft, right? So a lot of people say, why are you so funny? Why do you act so clever? Because I don't have a big booming pastor voice. Well, why don't you lead the church in worship? I can't sing. Mm. So I stay in my lane, I'm clever, I, I try to craft my message and I use my gifts and I use my talents and I don't try to be anybody else. I try to be myself and, and I work with what I've got, right? Because that's, that's mm -hmm. all we can do. Yep. I, don't have, I don't have what some people have, but I have more than what a lot of people have. And so um, I just try to work my craft. And so let me challenge you. Man, if you have big goals, you have to bring forth big effort. And, um, you know, we just, I'm going to close with this. We just finished Last Dance. Did you watch it? Uh, six episodes. So six episodes, you know how it ends, right? Mm -hmm. They break up. So that's not mm -hmm. a newsflash. That's mm -hmm. the whole point of it. Mm -hmm. People give Michael Jordan a lot of grief, but I don't think we give him enough credit 
for the effort that he put into yeah. being the best he could be. So he wasn't a therapist. He wasn't a warm, fuzzy guy. He was a warrior on a basketball court, and that's the guy that I can honor. I'm not going to honor him as a dad, a parent, a husband, yeah. right, a friend, but I can honor the effort that he put forth when he stepped on the basketball court. Sorry, LeBron James. He's the greatest player who's ever lived. He, he's, he got every ounce out of that body that he possibly could, and uh, you didn't want to face him. Mm. And so that's what I want to do with this body God's given me. I want, I want to give God everything I possibly can out of this. And, um, and the older you get, the less your body works and the more you have to use your mind. So exercise your mind on a regular basis so that you can stay sharp. And um, anyways, I love you guys. Thank you so much for your questions. We will see you next week. This weekend at church, it is how to elevate your thinking. And we're going to talk about how thinking and attitude go hand in hand with goals. And so a lot of you guys have stinking thinking. And if you want God to elevate your life, you got to elevate your mind. So don't miss this weekend. Love you guys. God bless.